Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays a Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick. And if you thought that I was bougie and don't go camping, you're wrong. Because guess what? I went camping. And I also wasn't a huge fan of it. But um, yeah, last weekend, Labor Day weekend, we went camping. And here's what I'll say. I had a delightful little Saturday. It was a, we had beautiful weather. It was magical. What I don't like was Friday and Sunday. Friday, the setup day. What, like, I don't even work Friday and we didn't have to work Monday. And this was, the whole thing was exhausting. So for the people who work until 5 p.m. Friday, then drive to a campsite, then spend hours setting up their tent, getting dinner ready, cleaning up dinner, and then finally sitting by the campfire at like 10 and being like, ah, this is nice. And then it's nice through Saturday. And then Sunday you wake up, everything's wet. It's weirdly hot, but cold. And you just want to go home. Everything's a mess. And then you got to get home and unpack everything and wash everything. Like it's a lot of work. Now, double that, that Kirby and I had the absolute cliche of our air mattress on Friday night, half deflated. And so in the middle of the night, we are tacoed together. And from about 3am until 6am, I just flip back and forth. I'm just a flip flopper. I am. And so at one point, he like yells at me, like, you have to stop moving. And I'm like, I can't. So camping, I don't know. I don't know. I liked it, but I will say I get it. I don't, well, I don't get it. From a parent standpoint, I get it of like, we could have just gone to Wisconsin Dells, gotten a, you know, $300, $400 a night room, eaten out every meal. It would have still been pretty hectic. We would have spent $1,500, $2,000 on a weekend. And our kids would have been like, yeah, that was fun. Sure. Our kids came out of this, like, you could just tell they enjoyed this. Like, this is the kind of thing that they'll remember when they're older of like, oh, yeah, I remember when we were kids, we went camping. And so it was like a relatively cheap way. Um, Because you know how kids do that to you, right? Like they start young, like as a new parent, you they really prepare you the first time that they're more obsessed with the bow instead of the present. That just keeps going. That just absolutely keeps going in life. 
um, and continues to break your heart. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I went camping. Yeah. All right. Um, Okay, if you are listening to this before September 20th, then you still have an opportunity to sign up for my free uh, webinar that is happening on Tuesday, September 20th. It is the six habits of extremely efficient chiropractors. Now, if you're wondering why it's not the seven habits of highly effective chiropractors, it's because Kirby wouldn't let me. He said that I would get sued. And I said, no, I won't. And then he showed me that actually the Seven Habits company has a long track record of suing the shit out of people. Um, And like there's multiple examples of things that are kind of far from the Seven Habits of highly effective anything. Like it's, it's kind of weird. But so, yeah, we've got the six habits of extremely efficient chiropractors webinar 45 minutes it is free link in my bio on instagram or kirby will drop it below and you can sign up and we'll be going through that that will be fun um i got you guys i've been you've been talking to me through dms lately and i'm feeling for you um i feel like the more that i start to talk about care plans and things like that. I get people who are very, they get, they have their undies a little in a bundle, not in a bad way, but just a little like they want to, they want to have that confidence, but they don't. And so then what happens is they kind of dabble a little, uh, in like giving a care plan and then they fail and then they feel like it doesn't work for them. Um, And that makes sense, right? Like, of course, if you are like, well, I'm going to try this on and it doesn't work, I see why you would would feel defeated. Um, But a lot of times what it comes down to is you just aren't confident in why you are giving the recommendation that you're giving. Um, I was talking to a chiropractor last week. And she's been in practice a little longer than me. She's got experience. She knows her shit. Um, But she said, like, how, like, when I try and give a review of findings, my patients are, like, negotiating with me and, like, telling me, you know, this and that. And, you know, doesn't that happen to you? And I even said, I said, my associate is 26, looks 23. No offense, Randy. Love you. Um, she is five to a hundred hundred pounds. I don't know. And people don't, don't negotiate with her because she is so clear in her systems and procedures and the science of why it has to be this recommendation. And so there's two things that, you know, these people are like, how do you get to that? Well, there's one is just when you see it over time. Okay, so that's a hard one for new grads who are like, well, I don't I can't say, listen, I know it's going to take four months because I have seen it take four months, not three, not two, four for the last couple of years. I can say that. Um, But if you're not in that situation, I will say there are two sources that can help cheat that confidence. Um. Well, really, it's one source. It's understanding the science. Now, there's two sources that I think can really help you understand the science in a level that can help translate it to your patients. One is like the pediatric experience. Uh, Tony Ebel's pediatric group 
He is a science nerd, and that is a community full of people who are going to help you feel really confident in giving care plans and like talking to parents about paying, not using insurance, about paying. And when you're a part of that community, you will definitely have to level, you will, you will level up, you will level up your communication and your science. And then, I mean, this is not an ad for insight, although later there will be an ad. Uh, this is just truly my authentic opinion. The insight scans, freaking, they do it. They do it. That visual is so, so helpful. So those are the two things that really do help if you can't rely on your experience of care plans, um, those two things really, really do help. So I don't know how I got down this little rabbit hole here because um, I wasn't planning on talking about either of those things. But, oh, it's because you've been giving, you've been sending me DMs and I just want you to know I love you. And I think that you think everybody else has it a lot easier than you. And they don't. We're all just, we're all just learning. We're just like, and I don't know. Sometimes I just take things so damn serious and you just almost need like that awakening of just like, dude, you're just a meat sack on a rock. Like there's so many things so much bigger than us and your practice and your numbers being down this week or that that parent yelling at you or that comment online, like so many things. So I just want you to know, like, eh, don't take it so seriously. We're all going through that shit. So today's episode, I really enjoyed. Um, it is, we talk about a lot of things in here. So Amy Greensmith is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist. Um, she I was, I, I don't have a lot of life coaches on, to be honest, because I get a lot of pitches for life coaches and they all kind of sound the same. But there was something about Amy that I was like, she sounds different and cool, and I was right. You're going to like her. Um, she is a wonderful speaker, personal empowerment expert. She uses her role as a coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals into a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. Um, she's got a cute focus on helping people find their voice, and that's something that you guys are, I don't know, if you've been listening long enough, you you know I actually do really struggle with that. Um, I think uh, one of the times most recently I've been most vulnerable uh, with a guest is when Dr. Courtney Kayla was on. And I was just like, how do you like have the courage to do this? And so it was when Amy Greensmith was talking about like how she helps people find their voice. I was like, okay, mm -hmm, let's talk. And per usual, it turns into a therapy session for me, but you're going to get a lot out of it, I promise. She is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and she has been a featured expert in Inspired Coach Magazine and on Fox 5 San Diego. Uh, you cannot see her because this is a podcast. I don't know if you know how podcasts work, but it's just audio. Um, but she is beautiful and confident and just like a presence. Like immediately when I got on, I was like, yeah, let's be friends. Um, she also looks a lot younger than she shares in her head. I was like blown away. I was like, what? I thought you were in your twenties. Now all of a sudden she, yeah. So you're going to like it. Okay. Should we, should we pray and then get to it? Cause it's good. <sighs> Take a breath, relax. Reminder, you're doing a great job. And that's all I want you to hear today. I am proud of you for getting up 
and doing your best. And sometimes, you know, I, I feel like I get really hard on myself where I'm like, this isn't my best. And it's like, no, 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 it's your best for right now. And it's okay if it's not your best in your entire life. It's okay if there are days where you're like, no, I couldn't run. I just walked for half a mile. That was my best today. So give yourself a break. You are being way too hard on yourself. And if you need someone to reach out to, I am here for you. I want you to know you are loved by me, but also you are well supported in this community of chiropractors. You're not alone. You may feel alone, but there are communities that exist here to support you and empower you. And I hope that this podcast is just, just one little piece of your life of feeling supported and empowered as a chiropractor. All right. Amen. Here is my episode with Amy Greensmith. Enjoy. Cool. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to hang out. Where are you coming to me from besides your home? I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually. You don't have an accent. Are you supposed to have an accent? <laughs> no, I sound like a Kim Kardashian. I sound like a Kardashian. <laughs> you're, already you're, you're, you're a favorite. You're a favorite. Um, nanny chiropractor. Uh, I, I know I'm from Southern California. I've only lived in Charlotte for about four years. So that's oh, why. Oh, I am from Southern California technically as well. Where in Southern California? I thought you were from Ohio. No, no. I was born in Mission Viejo, Dana Point, Orange County. Stop it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I lived in Mission Viejo for six years. You um, did. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California in like the Inland Empire area. And then my husband and I moved um, in the early 90s or late 90s. We moved to Mission Viejo and we were in Orange County area until we moved here to Charlotte. That's got to be a huge transition. Like Orange County to anywhere. Orange County. To, yeah. Orange County to anywhere is different. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's we're extremely liberal and it was a a very conservative part of Southern California. So moving out to a liberal area of the South felt more accepting mm -hmm. um, and more aligned. And, you know, the thing that I've found from my friends and family who are incredibly allied to California and I would never move. Oh, my gosh. How can you? It's people who cannot be away from the beach. And mm -hmm. I don't really fucking like the beach. Give me a cabin in the woods. Like there was a deer that ran through my yard yesterday. And I'm like, this is it. I feel like Cinderella. I feel like there's <laughs> like woodland creatures going to help me get dressed every morning. Like there's squirrels and stuff. Like that's what I'm here for. You know what makes it really funny is so I've only known you for five minutes and I have said on stage before that like I really envy, you know, when you meet someone and they've just got like, a, it's usually a female um, and they just have this soft snow white Cinderella energy. <laughs> And sometimes I like, well, I'm very jealous of it. And sometimes I'll like try and be like, okay, I'm going to act more like that. And I last about five minutes before I accidentally just put my foot in my mouth and I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I said there. And so yeah. like, you kind of strike <laughs> me more like that. Like, yeah, totally. You and me, Cinderella, we are just um, shy, demure little. Yeah. That definitely doesn't work for me. Not to mention that most of the Disney princesses are like, I mean, uh, fucking Sleeping Beauty. Let's talk about consent, like <laughs> being kissed without her consent. You know, 
all, all yeah i could go on and on and do on you about have that. kids i do not okay so i have two girls seven and ten years old and um raising them you know so i'm a i'm a early, late millennial early millennial i'm born in 86 you know and so like okay. we like i said i grew up in southern california we went to disney like disney was everything to me and so as soon as I found out I was pregnant with a girl I was like okay I need because I deal with like I have a lot of vanity issues I'm an Enneagram three I don't know yep. if you know your Enneagram type at all I'm a, do you I'm a four. Oh, I'm a three wing four and my best friend is four but I struggle with fours a lot do you my best friend is a three <laughs> oh. Well, because like fours love their emotions and yes. threes are like, you are not being productive right now. Just shove that emotion down. So I'm a wing four in the fact that I like to be unique, but mm -hmm. not that unique. I just want people to think I'm being unique while I'm being the most basic bitch ever. So like, <laughs> like, like I invented pumpkin spice lattes type of thing. <laughs> like, Got so, it. Got it. So I was really, oh, so I have these girls and I'm, or I'm pregnant with a girl and I'm like, okay, I need to like self-check my issues and make sure I don't like pass them on to this next lineage. And so there's just so many things in this process of like, I'll find myself like brushing her hair and just being like, your hair is so pretty and long, but it would also be great short. Short yeah. hair cool too, you know, and you just like check yourself of like, because Disney princesses have all this and you know, I got, I have fake hair. And my kids yeah. are like, how come you have fake hair? And I'm like, because mom wants to have longer hair than I have, but I am self-accepting of, oh God, this is complicated. Uh, yeah, it's complicated, right? Oh. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you don't need to be saved, right? You don't need to be saved by a prince. Uh, you can also marry another princess if you'd like, or, <laughs> you know, like, I just think that there's so many things that we're moving away from with that. But, but it's tricky. I, I, I worked as a makeup artist for about a decade prior to getting involved in personal development. And there was a makeup artist who, who had a quote that said, makeup is not about covering up who you are. It's about defining who you are with the choices that you make. And I loved that idea of, I'm not, you know, putting hair extensions in to conform or to hide or to mask myself. It's, I love myself without that. And this is a method of expression. I always mm -hmm. felt like there's a reason why we're not born with holes in our ears or hair dye or tattoos on our body because we have freedom of expression and we have creativity. So if we come through a lens of, I don't need to conform to modern beauty standards, but rather I'm going to embrace my creative side despite what the messaging is. Yep. And I think there's a lot of nuance and a lot of stuff that gets complicated in that mix too. I don't think it's that simple. Oh yeah, it never is. But yeah, I like that idea of like, we're born a blank canvas and this is, you know, this is how I'm playful. Like, I feel like yeah. I don't like, I'm not a painter, you know? Right. And so like I've interviewed, I carry a lot of big air quotes here, masculine energy, you know, uh -huh. that very like dominant, da, 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 this is what I got to do. Um, I got to be big and powerful. And that's how I am successful in business. Um, I used to say I'm a recovering alpha male. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when I talk to, you know, when I've had people on the podcast talking about 
hormones and this and that. And like talking about drawing in more of the female energy and like how men need to do this also of like drawing in that playful and creativeness. I'm like, but I don't want to paint. And they've talked about like, no, you can do this through like wearing makeup and you know, if that's what you want. And I was like, Oh, I do like that. So I mean, it can be about like what sort of business cards you decorate, you know, Mm -hmm. for yourself. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't. And I I always took such issue with this idea, especially now with where gender is at in the social uh, conversation. I I don't like the terms masculine and feminine because of the gender associations. I like just strong and soft, like because I feel like we all have elements where there's times when it's being called for to be strong as fuck. And then there's times when softness is being called. So to me, and that doesn't, that's irrelevant of gender. That has everything to do with just what is being called for and needed in the moment. And then it gives all of us the freedom to actually be in touch with our emotions, which is what we make every single decision based off of. We don't like that idea. we like to think it's logic and reason and rationale, but we make decisions based off of how we think something will make us feel, you know? Mm. So if it's money, it's because we want the freedom. We want that feeling of freedom, right? So it's also one of the reasons I know we're going to get into this, but it's also one of the reasons why we people please, because it's an uncomfortable emotion to deal with somebody being unhappy with you. Like we're like, I can't feel that. That feels so uncomfortable. Oh, shit. (laughs) That makes so much sense to bring it back to me. Um, Is being that three wing four is it's funny because people who don't really know me will go like, will just kind of know me and I'll drop something being like, oh, I care so much about what people feel or think about me. And they're like, what? No, you don't give a fuck about other people's opinions. And I'm like, no. I like unhealthily focus on it, but it's not because I care about them. It's okay. So that's because it's, yeah, that makes sense because I don't like feeling uncomfortable or feeling feelings in general besides just joy and um, novelty and that. Yeah. Yeah. So when they're unhappy, I have to sit in that feeling of, of that gray area of like, they're unhappy. Did I do something that I, I don't like the word should, but like, I, I feel like I should apologize for no, they're just upset. That's their problem. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah. It's, it really forces an element of an emotional intelligence. And especially if you're in that three, and for those of you who aren't as astute with Enneagram, it, you can't, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who doesn't want to fucking deal with emotion. Like yeah. our society does not foster, especially for those who identify as men is you absolutely you're not allowed. And then if you want to be a successful woman in business, you need to be man like, so mm-hmm. we adopt that that sort of persona of, I have to be kind of bitchy or adversarial or uh, sort of overly assertive in order to be successful because that's sort of what we've branded in our society. You know, that's what uh, capitalism is about. It's about productivity. You must produce. And that's really kind of what we admire men for typically is how much can you produce? Not how emotional can you be or how connected can you be or how rich are your connections with other people? How empathetic are you? But Mm -hmm. all of those things are absolutely mandatory in 
in getting anywhere in our life. Like we know that people make more um, emotional buying decisions when we cater to the limbic center of the brain, right? So if we're tapping into that area, which houses our emotions, that will naturally make people feel more safe. But, you know, when we feel safe, then we feel as though we can trust people, then we buy shit, right? So if I, I would encourage you to start thinking about emotions as a superpower, as a way to relate to other people, as another tool to understand individuals, instead of something I need to run for, run from because it's always been emblematic of pain. Because most of us run away from that or become people pleasers or become perfectionists and try to escape that emotion because it was associated with some kind of pain in our childhood. I was going to say, like, does people pleasing usually start in childhood? Absolutely. Uh, Not always. Now, there's definitely folks who I've met who maybe were super confident and really loved who who they were and then got in a really, really bad relationship. And then they started catering to everybody else and kind of lost their sense of self. Mm -hmm. Most people there's a, some sort of a defense mechanism that's adopted early on in life where we realize that if I take care of other people's emotions, like make sure they're okay and they're happy, usually it's parents. Mm-hmm. It's I see myself doing it to my daughters too. And it's like, it makes me want to like throw up because I'm just like, oh, but how do you, how do you be a parent to a child? How do you teach them how it's such a weird area as a parent. You're not going to like I'm my not, answer. Okay, no, I want to hear it though. <laughs> You're not going to like my answer. Well, the, let me back up a second. The, the thing to understand about people pleasing is it's a defense mechanism. It's rooted in our primary fear response. So when we are feeling a sense of threat, we've heard, okay, fight, flight, freeze, Fawn. Fawn is a little bit newer kind of yeah, in the psychological. Yeah. Well, the modern iteration of fawning. So fawning would be like if we're talking in primitive situation, if you're being attacked by a mountain lion and it, it, your immediate response to that threat is to go here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here's some food. Go over here. You're placating. You're acquiescing. You're trying to take care of that person in order to save yourself. The modern iteration of the fawn response is people pleasing or a high investment in the opinions of other people because we're trying to stay safe. So as a child, we kind of go, oh shit, my parents are so volatile or they're abusive or they are um, maybe just extremely extroverted and demonstrative with their emotions. In order for me to feel safe, I'm going to take care of them. Then I can fly under the radar. Then I can make sure that I'm okay. So I think it's important to understand that people pleasing is not always bad. Uh, for example, I'm queer. If I'm around an individual, you know, a group of people who are very anti-queer, that's not the moment for me to stand up on my rainbow, you know, platform and like go off about gay rights because my physicality is quite literally in jeopardy. So in those moments, placating or people pleasing might keep my ass safe. So I think it's important, especially in the personal development scope, that we don't ever say this is bad all the time. There are times when it will keep you safe, but far more often than not, we are people pleasing in situations where we're totally physically safe. We're just emotionally 
ex, uh, terrified of what somebody's going to think or of rejection, things like that. So to answer your question about, well, what the fuck do we do about this with children? You have to teach them emotional intelligence. It's about understanding what it is that you're feeling and being able to pinpoint what other people are feeling and recognizing what is and is not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. We are never responsible for changing how somebody feels. We are always responsible for identifying what we're feeling, understanding our impact on other people and taking responsibility for that. So ways that that can show up is first of all, never telling a child you should not feel that way, Mm -hmm. but rather tell me more about what's going on for you. Um, So if they're super upset, like I feel so ugly, I feel so disgusting. That's not your cue to go, honey, you're beautiful. It's to go, Hey, talk to me about what's happening there. What do you feel inside of yourself? Or, you know, I, I always advocate for having like emotional wheels, like you can get them on Amazon or whatever, some sort of way for children to start identifying. I feel um, despair or I feel wonder. I feel overwhelmed, I, you know, so that we can mm-hmm. advocate for our needs and then giving them ways to work with any of those emotions that are coming up. So my older daughter, 10, uh, so she's an oldest, right? So, um, I, she's the one that I definitely see the most of like, okay. Cause I'm also the oldest and like her wanting to make me happy. And I'm like, no, 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 Ma- you're not responsible for mom's happiness. Sorry that I put you in that situation. And so like I, everything you just said, like, yep. Easy. Applicable. Good. Now my second. Okay. Wild child. Okay. Now she's the one who is, um, so she's seven. And she's interesting because we're having some issues with teachers, right? Okay. And so this is where like, how do I communicate at a parent-teacher conference when they're basically pointing out that she doesn't care enough about other, she's not, she doesn't care enough about other people. She's not enough of a people pleaser is basically, they're not literally saying that, but in teacher speak or grandparent speak of like, you need to discipline, like she's not conforming enough is everything that they're saying. And my husband and I are just like, "Mm, okay, yeah, we'll totally deal with that. But at home, we're like, okay, we don't want to do what society kind of wants us to do to little girls, especially, and break their spirit and turn them into people pleasers. Well, sometimes she's kind of an asshole. So like, we're trying to figure out, like, we're trying to raise her to know that she doesn't have to please people, but you kind of do have to please people. So I guess the question is more like, how do I explain to a teacher how do I explain to a grandparent who's disapproving and her grandparents are actually not but like other people sure sure are like what are the words that we use to another adult who's trying to shame that our our kid isn't enough of a people pleaser it really depends I think on on what the actual issue is Um, like a very specific example so if somebody is my first question would be, is it a problem if she was a little boy? Mm. Do you suggest I actually say that out loud? Yes. Fuck. Yes. 
oh my God, you're going to make me sweat. (laughs) (laughs) No, these are the questions that we need to start thinking about. Um, This, I, I tell my students and clients this all the time when they're like, uh, what, what do I say to this email or how do I respond? And I always go, what would a white male answer, answer that email? Like the average white man, what would they say to that email? They probably wouldn't twist and contort and go, is it okay? I'm not sure if there's anything I can do. And bl-. they're not going to fucking do that. They're not going to worry if they come off weird. They're not going to worry course- if they have too many or too little exclamation marks. Did I say LOL at the end of that sentence? So they know the tone was not meant to be too attacking. And I don't think you need to be an asshole about this, but I would say, you know what? Let me, let me just ask you this. If you had a little boy who is demonstrating the same behavioral patterns, would it appear problematic to you? Hmm. And just get, just get some questions because if she's actually being an asshole, then she probably needs to be held accountable for that. Like, You are allowed to not like something, but like, for example, when she gets older, you can be so furious at a partner, but you can't go fucking key their car or burn all their clothes on the lawn. So it's about understanding you're allowed to be angry and you're allowed to be frustrated, but you're not allowed to go hit somebody or you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to verbally assault someone. So understanding like these are proper ways to process. So if you're really frustrated, you can go into the bathroom and you can do a silent scream like this. You know, or you can tense up all your muscles and relax them. Like these are ways to process that. So that would be my big question is, is she actually hurting other people? And would it be an issue if it was a little boy? Because it almost makes it sound like to me that like there's certain things that we don't accept from little girls, like sharing, for example, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think Sharing is one of those things that I think we we have a, a little bit of a problem with that in our society. So when you when you grow up and someone's like, why don't you share some of your paycheck with your best friend? Or why don't you share this job responsibility with them? Why don't you fuck no? Yeah. No, I think we have a little bit of a problem with some of these things that we think are so noble to instill in children. I think we need to start questioning them. And again, take this with a grain of salt because I'm totally child-free by choice. Um, But I do think we need to start questioning some of these things that we have taken for granted that are, you know, like Disney, that are quite problematic now, you know, when we Mm -hmm. really dissect what sort of uh, holes they're forcing us into. Yeah. And I feel like, but, you know, I feel like society, including Disney, is starting to shift. Like there's huge shifts happening. What, so do you coach equally male and female? Are you mostly coaching? Yeah. I, that's a great question. No, I, I focus primarily on women or I also say femme presenting. So anybody who also has the lived experience of being in a femme body or, um, being described as a feminine. Okay. And so is that, uh, is this people pleasing and like helping society? Is this a big part of your coaching or like, what's the biggest thing that you're seeing yeah. like current women and femme presenting clients present with? 
as yeah. issues? Well, that's a great question. This also stems from a really strong patriarchal society where a lot of the things that we demanded from women was to give and give and give, to be subservient. Um, the idea of expressing emotions was was weak and you know, sort of a detriment. So we're still fighting against all these ideas of what what we should be as women and how to define that and change that. So for that reason, I deal with a lot of people who struggle with that people pleasing, like I can't be happy until everybody else is happy. And it's a complete yeah, sacrifice what, like, to generation self. Are you mostly working with? Typically elder millennials and Gen X. Okay. I'm Gen X myself. So um, yeah, usually folks in their forties and fifties, uh, some late thirties, but that's one of the things that I see a lot is this. There's usually two primary behavioral patterns. It is one around people pleasing at a severe cost to self mm-hmm. and or perfectionism. I need to be flawless in order to be valuable. So both of those things are very much rooted in how we view ourselves and our self-worth. So people-pleasing is I'm not worthy unless I'm accepted, unless I'm loved. Perfectionism is I'm not worthy unless everyone thinks I'm flawless. Hi friends, I wanted to take just a quick break from the episode to make sure you all know about the cool stuff we have happening over on Patreon. I did the first 175 episodes of She Slays, just putting content out there, getting DMs, interacting with you that way. But then we decided to do something more, something really cool, and it's all through Patreon. We have three membership tiers and each one comes with some great benefits. First, there's the buy me a coffee tier. It's $3.99, $3.99, literally less than my normal coffee order at Starbucks, which is $5.95. This is the tier to just say thank you for the work. Trust me, it costs a lot more than you think to put together this podcast, but that's not all you get. You also get access to the first 50 episodes of She Slays that are no longer available to normal podcast apps. Next is the She Slays supporter tier for $12.99 a month. You get all the stuff from the first tier and some amazing bonus content. After every interview, I have the guests stick around and answer some fun and interesting speed round questions. Has Elise Rigney ever seen a ghost? Has Tony Ebel ever slapped someone in the face? You'll never know if you don't join. But it's not all fun and games. For this level, I also provide a monthly training episode only available to Patreons. These are quick and action-packed episodes that will help your practice. Finally, we have the full-on She Slayer level. For $24.99 a month, you get everything from the previous tiers and a live monthly Zoom session where I tackle the issues most important to members at this level. Who knows? Maybe you could have a live coaching session that turns into one of these episodes. Also, if you have a practice for sale or need an associate at this level, you can tell me and I will tell the world on one of my public episodes that goes out to thousands of people a month, including a ton of students and new associates. So go check it out at the link in the show notes and I will see you on Patreon. Right. Unless I'm in fact. So we attach to those things because we think 
okay, maybe then I'll be worthy. Maybe then I'll be valuable, which usually equates, then I'll be happy. Again, chasing an emotion. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll have joy. That makes sense because I've never heard somebody take it one step further beyond self-worth. And that's what I was going to ask before you threw that in of like, do you have anybody who gets like, okay, now I feel worthy. But if you take it one step further of like, okay, when you feel worthy, what is that going? What emotion is that going to give to you? And then you're like, oh, I'll feel content. And then it's like, okay, how do you connect them? Like, do you have to go through feeling the worth or can you skip over that? Do you teach them to skip over it to be happy? Did you understand what I'm asking? Like you can feeling kind of, worthy is so hard in such a fucked up society of like, no, oh, but I'm not skinny enough, but that's okay. You know, like, well, it's all very much tied together. Like there's ways in which you can, and actually this, this really it parallels nicely with children. So if one of your children does something like, maybe when they were younger and they just drew with Sharpies all over the wall in that moment, you're like, ah, oh my God. Right. Like so pissed, but there's not a point where you stop loving them. Right. You don't stop having a value around who they are. And that's similar to sort of the emotional process of being human. So what we work towards is this baseline of I'm always worthy. I'm always valuable. I'm enough and I'm human. So I'm going to vacillate between what I feel. So when I experience a rejection, when a client says, no, I don't want to sign up for your care plan, uh, that is going to feel a sense of pain, right? We're going to have a feeling of sadness, maybe rejection, um, worry, whatever. But that emotion right there is what we usually collapse with our self-worth. We usually then say, that must mean I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. Instead of saying, that just is painful. The same way we would put our hand on a burner, we wouldn't go, oh shit, I'm unworthy. We would go, (laughs) shit, that physically hurts. So Mm -hmm. part of the process is understanding that we're going to have emotions that feel awesome. And then we're going to have emotions that feel shitty, but neither one of those has anything to do with our intrinsic self-worth. So part of it is that separation of I'm allowed to feel how I feel. I'm allowed to be with my emotions. I'm allowed to sink into things that feel amazing or feel shitty, but that doesn't mean I'm less than. So I'll give you an example. I have a metaphor for it. So I like to think of you almost like you want to think of yourself sort of like a house, right? And you have all of these intricacies and these different pieces to who you are as this house. And you have your rooms that you show everybody. And then there's some closets that you don't want anyone to see, you know, your bullshit. But you have a certain sense of worth as this house, right? It's, it's worthy as it is. It's a home. It's a domicile as it is. Now, as you go through your life, there are going to be folks who come along and they drop like a giant pile of shit on your porch. Those are the rejections. Those are the criticisms. Those are the breakups. Those are the businesses falling apart. Those are the things that emotionally have pain, the divorces, but what have you. 
you get that shit dropped on your porch. You have that decision of, am I going to bring this in and allow it to stink up my house? It's still going to stink. It's still going to suck, but it doesn't change the value of the home. It doesn't, but it's up to you if you're going to bring it in or not. Now, conversely, there might be folks in your life who bring you gifts and they drop a gift on your, your front porch. Maybe it's a beautiful crystal vase. Those are like commendations, accolades, honors, accomplishments, compliments, where we go, oh, that feels amazing. So that's the kind of stuff I definitely want to bring into my house because it makes the job of valuing myself easier. Like, yes, I'm definitely going to sink into that. But I love to say I'm currently not accepting any piles of shit. Does it still stink? Yeah, that's like it still hurts. It's still going to be painful. But neither one of those things changes the value of the home. Okay, I have a question. Okay. And I'm going to try and not offend because I'm not talking about anyone specifically, but I'm, I might, I might be kind of talking about the generation that comes after millennials or okay. and millennials. I love that you're Gen X. Like, <laughs> I'm 43. You look amazing. None of oh. you, anybody can see. You, oh. you look like you couldn't pass for 27. Oh okay. my God, bless your heart. So, <laughs> so this is the makeup artist. I'm like, oh, can we talk about that afterwards too? Okay, so <laughs> is there, I, I hear this of like, I'm only accepting the vases. I'm not accepting the shit. Yes. Sometimes, especially, so let's, I'm a boss. And, you know, sometimes, People um, are not born perfect, right? And they of need course. to learn. They have a little, like, little entitlement and a little, not as much self awareness and this and that. And they sit and they can tend to sit and only simmer in the sad emotions and not like get out of it. And it's just always this, like, yeah, journey of like, I'm just, I'm so broken and I'm doing the work and this and that. How do you handle, how would you handle as a boss? Like sometimes somebody needs to look at the shit and go, oh yeah, this, this is my shit. I need to, I can't just accept bases. I need to, how do you wake someone up to like, oh, you need to become a better human because do you understand the question in there? I think so. It sounds to me like, tell me if I'm, I'm sizing this up correctly. It sounds like there might be something personal that's happening with a staff member that it's hard to address because it's interpersonal for them. And it's not just, Hey, you need to be on time or you need to have better etiquette with our clientele. Um, what I think I'll clarify, it's not a specific staff member. I find that sometimes when I'm talking to honestly, just an early 20 something, and it may have nothing to do with their okay. millennial Gen Z, Gen Y, Alpha, whatever they are. It may just be because I'm sure I was, I mean, I was, I went into business right away out of school because I knew I would have been a terrible employee for other people, but I feel like, <laughs> like the early 20 somethings and even the teens that I see in clinic, they are fed this very, this message that Gen X and older millennials are like, no, 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 cis white male. I am me. I like, we're finding our voice. So then we're teaching them of like, you don't need to accept any bullshit from anyone. And then I'm seeing them struggle a little bit in the workplace because I see what you're saying. They can't, I don't deserve this. And it's like, okay, hold up the level of entitlement versus you, how much work experience you have. So like, how do, how would you recommend 
a 30 something or 40 something boss yeah mentor without squashing but like hey dude no you have to show up and work on time the fact that you okay. were out too is not yeah that's more the question i see what you're saying so this is interesting because my my husband is a um a body worker he does a very specific form of massage therapy and he has an employee who is <laughs> a, a z gen and then so we i'm always like what the fuck <laughs> you know like oh no yeah so so i hear you but i also have definitely seen that with exers and boomers yes. and stuff so but yeah so i hear what you're saying so let's just say no matter who they are there's a lack of personal responsibility and mm -hmm. it, it, this is where I, this is what I call when self-help goes wrong, when yeah. you become so entitled and you, you think you become a boundary bully and you think that speaking up for yourself and not allowing bullshit from anybody basically means you're void of any responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so what I suggest, and this might be something that you roll out more like as a company workshop or where you're able to kind of give it to them as a tool, as opposed to a one-on-one, -on -one, hey, I need you to be different, um, is to talk about uh, dealing with criticism. And I have a like kind of a step-by-step -step process of dealing with criticism, but one of the elements of that is to allow yourself the freedom to feel what you feel, right? Like to, it's never going to feel good to get criticism, especially if you grew up in a situation where you could never do anything right. Mm. Um, so you started leaning on defenses like, oh, I need to, I have to defend myself in, in all ways. Another piece of that is to uh, examine if there's any, anything for me to really look at here right? Like are, is this criticism, are they on to something? Like it might be wrapped up in a package that I don't like. Like maybe somebody delivered it to me in a way that's like, that I can't hear it. Like, oh, you're being so bitchy or, oh, you're being, you didn't have to light the poop on fire. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Like you're being, you are way too late and you are never professional. And you like, it might be wrapped up in a delivery that can't be heard, but you always want to examine the criticism for any merit. Is there any merit to this criticism? And that's where you can, it's a skill set to go internal and go, okay, wait a minute. I don't like how that was delivered. Mm -hmm. However, she's right. I do need to show up on time or I do need to work on taking better notes or I do need to work on how I'm engaging with clients. So that's an element of, personal responsibility, but it has to be taught how to work with criticism. Otherwise we take criticism and we just immediately operate from defense. And especially if the feedback is being delivered in a way that's not palatable, it's easy for us to dismiss. Like think about if your husband was yelling and screaming at you, you don't go, oh, okay. I can't wait to start working on that for you. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier for us to make that person wrong. So one of the key elements is how you deliver that feedback to your employees and to talk about what you value from them and to talk about, here's where I want to see you going. Here's the potential that I see. And then here are some of the things that I would really like to, to see you start shifting and owning. And 
if that's not possible, by all means, go start your own fucking practice. Mm-hmm. Right. So and I don't, I obviously like, don't say it like that. Yeah. But. Right. Right. So what I hear is the soft skills of leadership Absolutely. that, um, that we are, I feel like we're just starting to talk about like Gary V just had a book like 12, 12 and a half or something like that. Have you read that? No. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's a great book. It's basically like the 12 soft skills of leadership. Um, okay that are, that are not really talked about. And I feel, oh, how do I, because I have all these, I have all these feelings, right? And it's hard for me to communicate them. Um, we Hey, She Slayers. So many of you connect with my story as a chiropractor because I started all wrong. Years into practice, I had to completely turn it around from being an insurance and pain-based model to a thriving subluxation-based cash practice. I have a lot of ways that that happened, but I am not exaggerating when I say the number one thing I changed was adding CLA's Insight scanning technology. The Insight helped grow our practice from 300 people a week to over 500 a week in the course of one year, purely by showing objective findings and providing reports to patients. So many docs I talked to struggled to communicate the why behind a care plan. When the patient's pain goes away in a few visits, they struggle to keep patients after insurance stops paying. They don't know how to explain why a kid benefits from chiropractic care, even though they have no symptoms. They don't do progress exams because what am I going to do to show the patient progress? I am telling you every single thing I just said, my answer to the doc is, are you using insight scanning technology in your clinic yet? because it's the solution to all of those issues. If you have questions, the staff at CLA is absolutely incredible and will help answer those questions and help implement this big change into your practice. Click the link below in the show notes as She Slays listeners get preferred pricing and hundreds of dollars off their purchase. Still have a lot of cis white males, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds running things. That's right. They're not gone yet. And I'm not saying I want them out. I love you. Thank you. My dad is one of them. Um, Thank you. But like for me, so I'm turning 36 this year. Here's a real life example. Okay. And so I have started to um, get asked to speak Mm -hmm. at a lot of things. Well, The yeah, it's great, it's awesome. Within chiropractic, though, um, it's not something that is has been traditionally paid for at all. So a lot of these okay. conferences are still run by the same people who have been doing it for 20, 30 years plus. Okay. And they are like, okay, hey, new little girl. And they're not saying any of this, but like, I'm gonna give you the honor of coming and speaking on my stage. I've built this thing. Your payment is the the honor of being here. And I'm like, well, I live in Rice Lake. That is not near anything. Like, it's yeah. not like, oh, it happens to be in my same town. I could like have breakfast with my family, go to your thing and then come back. Everything involves me getting on a plane and buying a hotel room. And so I've started have like this year being like, thank you, is it paid? It's not, I'm unable to do that at this time. And they feel like rejected. And so 
it's really difficult because I feel like I, I have all these women and men and men behind me um, that I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm drudging the trench for us. Don't worry. In so many other aspects than just this, but like, I feel like the 35 year olds right now, the mid and late thirties, I feel super in between. I feel in between where I've still got, I have no idea. There's no question here. I'm just talking. So don't worry. Um, (laughs) Like I feel super like, all right, everyone behind me, don't worry. It's I'm going to, it's going to be different when you get here, but like right now there's still so much. And I feel like I end up coming across like a man hater, which I'm not, but I just hate the patriarch. Can I say I hate the patriarch? Sure. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, men should hate the patriarchy because it doesn't, it doesn't serve them at all. It says you're only valuable for what you produce. It says you absolutely are so daft that you can't work with your own fucking emotions. And if you do, you're weak. Like there's, there's nothing for the patriarchy for anybody. Um, so to, to kind of talk about what's happening here, when it comes to speaking engagements and I'm in the same boat in a lot of ways. Um, it's not just in chiropractic. It's in almost every industry that there's, how can I get free and unpaid labor? Yep. And I think it's definitely, it's definitely a huge issue in speaking period. So if you are looking at those sorts of opportunities, it's about evaluating is this worth it for me? So for example, if you looked at the, the amount of cost that it would take to get your ass to the conference, would the networking or would your ability to, you know, uh, sell something from the stage or bring people, you know, into a program or something online, is there some sort of financial exchange that you can, you know, barter with them, Mm -hmm. right? Like, is there anything of substance for you? Because if you are running a homegrown business, brick and mortar business, where you're not really doing anything online, that sort of a thing doesn't matter that much to you, unless you're trying to grow and have the clout of, I spoke at said, and you know, such and such. Right. right. And there are some conferences that I definitely am like, yes, I didn't even ask for money because I want that on my resume. That is something that, yeah. So the easy solution with this is to not ask if it's paid, but to say, thank you so much for your interest. My, uh, my traditional keynote for 60 minutes is 5k plus expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. And just to say, here's my fucking rates. Like Mm -hmm. what would a man do? Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. okay, okay. A man wouldn't go, Oh my God, really visibility. Thank you so much. Right. So (laughs) no, you have to have some integrity around that, but I'll, I'll give you an example. I had an opportunity to speak, uh, for an organization that was all about lifting up women. And one of their key platforms was around, uh, the pay gap and, unpaid labor and paying women for their labor. And they wanted me to speak for free. So that situation was wildly out of integrity for me. So I wrote a very thoughtful, kind letter to them. And I just said, I am, uh, I am deeply honored and I love what you all are up to. 
However, it feels wildly out of integrity for me to be empowering women around not giving away free labor and let's equalize this pay gap whilst not accepting any compensation for my own labor. Mm -hmm. I truly wish you the best. Now, I have another speaking engagement coming up in October that's in person that is not paid. And I agreed to do it because there's so much opportunity there for Mm -hmm. me. And because the organization is not touting this, this let's, let's pay women what they're worth platform. Right. Right. So I think we have to take each individual situation and go, does this feel right for me? And how do I want to respond appropriately? My whole premise of everything that I talk about is you can speak up for yourself without being a dick. You can respond. There's nothing dickish about saying, thank you so much for your interest. My keynote rate is 5k plus travel. I would love to get a, you know, have a conversation with you. In Mm -hmm. fact, that's what I would suggest doing before you quoted your rate. I would say, I would love to get on the phone with you and talk about what your needs are. And we can discuss compensation or we can discuss if, if it works for both of us. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking like, well, shit, you know, here I am throwing stones at these people. And also here I am with a podcast that asks people to donate their time. I don't pay any of my guests and some of them have something that they can sell and possibly benefit from. But like, it's kind of, it's a little bit of, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite here too, though. (laughs) Like, oh, huh. Wait a minute. Maybe I should stop. being. Yeah. Not necessarily because we're talking about a totally different level of effort and a totally different level of exchange. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I do a podcast guest spot, to me, that is not a speaking engagement. That's a marketing opportunity. Right. This is a part of my marketing funnel. Now, some people that's not the case. If they, if you want them on your show, you do need to pay for their their ability Mm -hmm. to be there. Um, I have people on my show. I don't pay them either because it's an equal exchange. I'm actually giving them exposure and they're, they are giving me content, right? So we're having this equal thing when we're talking about keynoting, that is a completely different skill set, And, um, a massive inequity as far as what they're getting versus what you're getting. That's why when you're trying to decipher, does this make sense for me? You have to make sure that it's an energetic exchange, that it works for you. So it might not be money that the compensation is, but the exposure or the ability to get in front of the right people is exactly what you need. Right. So how does this show up in a normal entrepreneur's life, people who aren't interested in speaking and like not having to deal with that aspect, but like in your clients, how is teaching them how to say no? Well, yeah, because finding your voice. So like how much does finding your voice go along with learning how to say no? Oh my gosh. It's in tandem. The thing about saying no, again, is oftentimes directly related to that people pleasing idea. It's that I, I, again, it's so uncomfortable for me to be in this situation where we are at odds with what each one of us wants. This is not dissimilar to somebody going, oh my gosh, I'm in so much pain. Wait, can't you get me in? Can't you get me in? 
and you're at a family function, right? Or, mm-hmm. or you're at your child's soccer game or something. Like there are ways in which you have to say no, but we think that saying no means I'm being an asshole. Right. And you're not, you're absolutely not. So one of the things that I highly encourage people to work with around the concept of saying no is to switch what we say to ourselves. Cause we say to ourselves all the time, I feel guilty or I feel bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Guilt is reserved for when you've done something unbefitting to yourself. So if you feel like, like you've slapped somebody you should probably feel guilty about that. Like that's unbefitting of you. You need to change that course of behavior. But if you simply don't have the time in your calendar to accommodate a client or a business meeting or, you know, a friend who wants you to move, you have done nothing wrong according to you, you know, according to your metrics and your values and belief systems. So that's not guilt that you're feeling. So let's stop calling it guilt. Say something like, I feel compassion. I feel concern. I feel obligation. I feel Mm -hmm. empathy. I feel a sense of involvement. I feel saddened. But let's use a different descriptor. Again, this comes back to emotional intelligence. Let's stop saying I feel guilty or I feel bad simply because we have to say no. That's one of the the biggest pieces, because we have such a hard time sitting with that guilt. I, you know, I have a very strong difference of opinion with my mom, for example, around um, our spirituality and religion. Mm -hmm. So if I say no to her of something she's invited me to, she's come, you know, from some sort of religious uh, event or something like that. I am doing something wrong, according to her. Right. That's why the barometer has to be with self. You might have the clients or you might have the people who think you should bend over backwards or think you should behave differently because you're a female or you're that age or what, whatever it is. But that's why the internal barometer is important to go. Have, have I done any behavior that's unbefitting of me? Yes or no. If it's yes, then you go clean up your mess and you apologize. If it's no, then you sit with that fucking uncomfortable emotion and you go, okay, my mom is unhappy with me and I'm going to allow that to be hers because I'm happy with me. And that's a very, very challenging muscle to flex. And it happens with repeat repeatability. Well, and it's, it's kind of this double-edged sword where it's like, okay, So here I am a person and I don't want to say no, because even though I know that it's befitting to me, I have nothing to feel shame or guilt about, but I'm worried that what you're going to think about me when I say no, but then the same thing happens when somebody else is saying no to us, we receive it as personal rejection. And so it's like this, like, I don't want to say no to someone, but I don't want I need to learn to say no, but I still need to deal. Like I need to look back and learn how to accept no. Yes. Yes. It's, it's two totally different skill sets. Yes. Um, So, but it's also be the person you want to attract. Also, it's like, you need to be and exhibit the qualities that you want other people to embody as well. So with these, with these types of situations, if, If you're saying no to somebody, let's talk about what that sounds like saying something like, 
I really appreciate you thinking of me. Unfortunately, I am at my max and there is no way I can take on anything else. I really hope you can understand. You're not being a dick. You're not Mm -hmm. being an asshole. Um, Or you know what? I am not available for that, but please ask me again in the future. If you mean it, only if you mean it. Um, or, you know what, at this time, it, it's just not in alignment with what I would like to, to do. Um, please know I adore you or whatever. It just, it really depends on the situation and who Mm -hmm. it is. Um, but somebody else's urgency or somebody else's dilemma is not your responsibility to fix. And you can still stand back and have empathy for that and sympathy for that. And it's easy to have empathy because I'm like, oh man. If, or compassion or whatever, because I'm like, oh, they're going to feel rejected and mad at me because I would feel rejected and mad at the person saying no to me. And then I think there's also that piece for you to, that's your work to do. Mm-hmm. That's your work to look and go, okay, what is it about this request from this individual that I feel entitled to? Is that, is that true? Do they owe this yes to me? And Where does that belief come from? What am I not owning? What am I not taking responsibility for, right? Like if you're in a situation where um, you haven't organized things very well, you haven't had your ducks in a row, and then you say to somebody else, you're my only option, you're putting your shit on them. That is your poor planning. And that is not fair. So there's some internal stuff that you need to work through around what makes me feel entitled to their yes. Right. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, I, so many women and people just struggle to learn to say no, Mm -hmm. but I wonder, you know, if it's one of those things where, I struggle to say no, but I also struggle to receive no because everything is personal. Everything is personal. When they say no, they're rejecting me. But what I I don't want to say no because I don't want them to think I'm rejecting them. So it's almost like, okay, if I can learn to accept no and picture my brain now opens up to a world where someone can receive no without feeling Like it's at a personal rejection. But right now I live in this world where all no's are personal rejections. So then therefore I struggle to do that to another human. Yes. So my biggest question to you would be, what happens if they don't like you? What do you make that mean? Okay. So if somebody doesn't like me, they can get other people to not like me. And then what happens? Then everybody rejects me. And then what happens? I don't make any money. (laughs) Okay. And (laughs) my business is not successful because there's lots of people out there saying like, oh, they won't just like adjust you once and let you do what you want. Like all of a sudden, then I get a negative community reputation. Okay. And how realistic is it that some buddy doesn't like you that now gets the entirety of the chiropractic community against you and you are now destitute well when you phrase it that way it doesn't seem very likely does it yeah but i just don't want them having a false perception you know because most of the time 
if somebody was going to say something bad, like I know that I'm an integrous person, I'm an integrous healthcare provider, and I know how much I care. Yes. So I think it might come actually more to wanting to control the narrative. If somebody was, if I heard that somebody said to another person of like, yeah, no, they wanted to get to the root of my sleep issues and anxiety and digestive issues. And I see where they were coming from, but I just wanted to do things my way, not their way. And I didn't like that. I, if I heard that, I would go, okay, yeah, you nailed it. You said no. You're talking about why you said no, but like, I agree with that. That is what happened. But my fear is that they're going to go, they tried to scam me into blah, 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 where I'm going to be like, no, 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 I can't. No, that is not what happened. That is not what happened. So I think it's a control thing. It's definitely a control thing. And it's also that there's definitely a lot of Enneagram three in that one. Um, But it's that we have zero control over how somebody is going to relay the information. So all you can do is keep your side of the road clean. So um, I always, I always come back to, am I proud of the woman that I showed up in that instance? So for example, in 2016, I did a really, it sounded like a really provocative podcast around dealing with the Trump presidency. And it really was around like, how do we engage with each other if we have totally polarized beliefs? Well, I put, I put the podcast out and um, it was received all these different ways. Some oh, people yeah. were like, thank God, I had no idea how I was going to deal with my family over the holidays. Other people were like, you lost a listener. I can't believe you did. And I, I was like, well, did you listen to it? Because I was really clear about being respectful of all sides. And then there were others who were, had the privilege of not focusing on politics at all. Didn't give a shit, didn't even catch it. So if I tried to jump through all the hoops to make sure that my reception was controlled, that I was making all these people happy, I would lose my mind because it's virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. So I like to say you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. You are responsible for who you are being, not how it's received. We cannot control that. So I would continue to come back to, am I proud of how I'm explaining these packages, these care programs? Am I proud of Um, my compassion, my delivery, am I getting feedback in any way that, that actually is constructive of, Ooh, maybe I could tweak that, or maybe there is something I can think about. But if you're saying to somebody, Hey, listen, I would love to just do a rack and crack and get you out. (laughs) But to be honest with you, I really feel like that's out of integrity because I feel like the things that you are struggling with, your anxiety, your, you know, fill in the blank. So much of that can be rectified with adjustments and we're not taught that. And I would be honored to explain that to you. And I also want to be really mindful of where you are at financially. So let's talk about what are the most important issues for you to rectify And then I'll talk about a care plan that maybe could work for everybody, right? Like you have to figure out what's of integrity. Like I won't do, um, I don't do one-off sessions with people for that reason. 
Yep. You know, that I'm like, you will not see transformation. We have to be working over a longer period of time, but I just don't have those as offerings, you know? So mm-hmm. you can simply say to folks, like we do operate a little bit different than traditional chiropractic offices. I would love to share with you sort of what our mission and our come from is, and you get to decide if that's what you're looking for or, or not. And I'm happy to refer you elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And then you stand at integrity and you go, you know what, if you want to rack and crack or you just whatever, like go ahead. But, Mm -hmm. but that's not what we do here. Yeah. You know, and it's standing in that and then recognizing they get to feel about that. However the fuck you want, but let's make sure that they can't say she was mean to me. She dismissed me. She didn't hear me. She was rude. Like the things that matter to you. I don't want to come across that way, but that's about you and deciding how you want to show up. I love that. You're really good at communication. (laughs) (laughs) You should coach people. Okay. So then, um, I'm going to say final question, but so, uh, but after we sign off, I'm going to ask you just some like bonus speed round stuff. So don't okay. actually go away when I sign off here. Um, Got it. Tell Got people it. where they can find you to get more of you, work with you and that. Yes. So my corner of the internet is over at amygreensmith.com. Green is just like the color uh, with no E at the end, amygreensmith.com. And I've got tons of freebies over there. I uh, have an ebook that has nine different challenges completely for free that really help you implement some of the stuff we've been talking about today. I'm also a hypnotherapist, so I have uh, an anxiety and fear hypnosis track. We didn't even get into any of that. (laughs) You're so cute. Um, I've also been podcasting for over nine years, so I've got a huge vault of free content over there. And then like any any self-respecting Gen Xer I hang out the most on Instagram, you can find me under the handle uh hey amy greensmith on pretty much all platforms so yeah i identify mostly as a gen x but then there's times where i'm like (laughs) oh okay i am or i am i am a little millennial yeah i straddle that line so oh that's that is funny that's my brother too he was born in 83 or 84 i think and so he's always like uh i do not identify as millennial (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 86. So there are some things where I'm like, no, that's not millennial, is it? Oh, yeah. Shoot. But yeah. So, but now we have poor Gen Z to beat up on. So like, yeah. I feel like five years ago when I was like, no, I'm not millennial. Now I'm like, oh, now we get to beat up on the next generation. <laughs> and then Gen Z will beat up. I found out the next one is called Alpha. And I'm like, couldn't we come up with another thing? My sister, who is Gen Z is like, no, or no, she's young millennial is like, no, because it's, like it's we're starting over we're starting over again well i mean the one before boomers is either the the directly before or maybe two before it was called the greatest generation i was like oh my god so can you maybe yeah can you imagine that one (laughs) yeah can you imagine if everyone was like we're the badass generation we're the you know we're the most lit um All right, she slayers. I will have as many of those links below in the show notes for you, um, including her podcast. I know that you definitely, you're a fantastic and totally my style. We didn't even talk about morbid, um, but I will, <laughs> you got a new listener because I'm adding you to my, my listen. So, Aww. all right. So until next week, she slayers. Bye.
Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? Sked has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. <laughs>